Hello and welcome to the Granter Podcast. I'm Ted Hodgkinson and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jeet Tail, the author of four collections of poetry and most recently his debut novel Narcopolis, which is shortlisted for the Booker Prize. It tells the story of a group of outsiders caught up in an underworld of drugs and violence in Bombay. We'll talk about the images of Christ that weave in and out of the novel, and we'll also talk about how the novel is in a sense a biography of Bombay. We'll also talk about an unexpected appearance of the film Blade Runner. Hello Jeet, I'm delighted to be with you today in the basement, um, the bunker. The <laughs> um, Granta bunker. The Granta bunker, we're safe down here. Um, this is an extraordinary novel. Um, one of the things that I thought was particularly extraordinary about it is for, for a novel about, um, in some ways, about oblivion and um, the obliteration of consciousness, it's it's an incredibly lucid book. It never really makes concessions to your kind of trippiness that you can see in so many um, drug-taking novels or novels that are about drugs. Um, I wondered, in terms of disciplining yourself, and in terms of how how do you approach being faithful to an experience of of kind of mental overload, or, or you know, being infused with 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 particular drug or chemical, and maintaining that kind of lucidity in prose. I thought it was very important to maintain lucidity because I, I grew up on the drug novel that uh, <coughs> approximated the drug state for to to pass the experience on to the reader. But what happens with that? I'm thinking of Burroughs, for instance. Mm-hmm. What happens with that kind of literature is that it, it becomes very difficult to read, and often the the idea of the novel is secondary. Mm. And today, to do that, I think would be very dated. It's something with it's been done with varying degrees of success. You know, we've all been there and read those books and mm. loved them at one time, and then grown to not love them. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. uh, it was very important for me to write lucidly about the opiated state. Mm. Mm. Uh, Also because when I was opiated personally, I had tried to write and never could, Mm. and realized that this kind of novel was something I could only do uh, once I'd cleaned up. Mm. And so the lucidity had everything to do with the fact that I was lucid Mm. in my head, you know, Mm. clean, and trying to remember a time from the past. And uh, but the enterprise was always novelistic mm. rather than uh, druggy. You mentioned that this is in part based on an experience, and it must have been. Um, <coughs> I think that the, without wanting to talk too much about what happens to some of the characters here, that progression towards becoming clean is is one of the sort of trajectories or hopes that, that seems completely out of reach for, for most of the novel because it's such an all-encompassing state. Um, did you did you find yourself um, fighting against the narratives of of, of recovery and um, clawing your way out of that, or, or was that something you were you were conscious of wanting to include? The idea of rehab and recovery. Yeah, the the idea of of that because there's there's as well as the lucidity, there's also a delight in that state. In some point, you know, there's also a kind of um, 
um, it, it's not an unfettered joy, but there is a kind of a the nostalgia, certainly. In some ways, yeah. And it's a kind of a it's what the French poet called nostalgie de la boue, mm. which is a nostalgia for the gutter, mm. and it's uh, also to do with the fact that I don't think if you were to talk to anybody who's been um, addicted to opiates mm. uh, and given them up, and if you were to ask them honestly whether they miss it, I don't think there would be a person who would be able to say no, mm. because you do miss it. Mm. I, I don't miss it every moment of every day, but I certainly do miss it. There are moments I think about it, and there are when I think of those years, there is an inadvertent kind of nostalgia because I do know that it's, it was also a time of absolute degradation, as it is for many of the characters in the book. It is a time of degradation, but they are degraded, but they are also capable of looking up and of feeling of tremendous joy and love and tenderness mm. in the midst of all of that. And this is... Uh, at least I think it's absolutely true for um, for addicts, you know. And I mean, addicts are outsiders in a hundred different ways. They're outsiders even in in worlds of outsiders, you mm. know. But uh, when you're part of that world, you see that they are capable of, you know, all the tenderness and the love and the joy and the yearning for beauty that any anybody is, you know. I want to ask you about the character of Dimple here because Dimple, like so many of the characters, is is to me partially a ghost, and she almost seems like her. She's hidden behind a veil of hair at one point. You know, well, by the end, she d is a ghost. Yes, yeah. yeah, and she she and there's um, a great sadness there, which is kind of um, quite a, quite sort of unexpectedly lowered in. And yet, as you say, her appreciation for beauty, her reading is is kind of eccentric and kind of wonderful and fascinating. I wonder, um, w she seems to me in some ways to be the sort of beating heart here of, sure. of the novel. And, sure. and um, there's, an, there's an immense sadness when she, she does become a ghost, even though you kind of see it coming in a sense because she, she really is sort of um, like a shadow sometimes. Yeah. And you see it coming pretty much from the first chapter mm. um, because there's a sequence of her after she's died and but the point about her death is and the n book pretty much comes to an end with her death and the point of her death is that she doesn't leave she's a she is a ghost but a ghost is very reluctant to leave the world of the living mm. and she comes back uh, to haunt those who have loved her mm. uh, specifically one person who's loved her mm. and that's a way of uh, staying on this side of the veil for her. And uh, I did see her as the center of the book in many ways, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was a way... I realized, too, that the book followed her trajectory, followed her uh, lifting herself out of her very narrow circumstances, really by reading. Mm. Because it's also a book about reading. It's full mm. of imaginary books. Mm. Imaginary books... Uh, uh, described in great detail. There are synopses of books. There are uh, pages from books. There are drawings from books. And they're all imaginary. And this is her her secret life. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes her, at the end of the book, when she's transformed 
for a brief chapter when she's transformed into the male character Sapporo who runs Safer the rehab center she it speaks almost like an intellectual mm. and the thing about people who teach themselves to read to be ed- who educate themselves is that they're much more uh, fanatical about it mm. than those of us who learn to read at school mm. and they go at it with a kind of desperation that few people who actually go to school and learn to read and write in school ever you know would ever have to mm. and for me that was a, a big part of her kind of development and transformation i love supporters um in, um <coughs> review of what i think is blade runner yeah. um <laughs> yeah. sort of a dimple in support of saying um and it does have that autodidactic kind of fever to it you know that yes. this is a great story that she's telling yeah and, and and which resonates so much with mm-hmm. with the whole novel but it does. you know that sense of being an outsider and a humanoid in a in a in a context which is so much which is so chaotic and uncaring seemingly yeah. towards you is and having a, having a limit very limited period of time in which to live mm-hmm. and knowing that by when that time is up you're you will be dead and trying to fight against that you know were you surprised by that because i'm i'm a huge blade runner fan and i i so i did it surprise you when you found yourself writing that as support because there are so, as you say there are so many fictional books in this book yeah. and and blade runner was one of the ones that came through that i thought ah i i know i know that yeah. that's blade runner yeah. <laughs> and um uh did it surprise you that you that you found yourself that dimple and sapporo were writing about that and, yeah, yeah absolutely and yeah. i, I it started off as a fairly short uh, digression but i had i enjoyed it so much and it suddenly kind of came together in so many ways it became a very long mm. long one yeah mm. and i uh, have you know in in the lists of imaginary movies and books mm. there are real ones as well mm. and vice versa like there's a lot of real hindi movies that are described okay but in the middle of all of those there's one imaginary one it's completely made up and people a lot of people who you know there are people in india who study hindi movies mm. indian movies and have asked which is the which movie that i i think i missed this movie american polyester you know when did it <laughs> appear <laughs> that must be i mean it reminds me a little bit of the the third policeman um flannery brian novel where there's there's he 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 creates a philosopher and he refers he invokes him a lot and sort of uses him to justify all kinds of crazy antics but um <coughs> i there's there's a kind of um there's an intertextuality about the book that um i mean i'm thinking of newton xavier particularly yeah. who yeah. who is who has a strangely kind of quasi at the beginning very kind of quasi christ like um there is there's a theme of um christ running through the novel and yes. newton seems to be a lightning rod for that um he's both performative and a, he he's a showman uh, he's almost like a sort of talk show host christ in some kind of ways um he's a showman and a shaman right yeah. right um it was um I think that the, the sort of modulation of the Christ theme in the novel is is really beautifully done and um as you were saying especially in a context where there are you're in a sort of outer circle of outsiders if you know what I mean yeah, you know yeah. you're you're really in the extreme outsider yeah. uh, territory and um do you, 
was did Christ um, enter the novel unexpectedly, and did you feel as though um, there was? I mean, I think there's great pathos in invoking him in that in that scenario because of the hopelessness of it. Um, there was a time when I was going to call the book Saint Dimple, mm. uh, because she is a saintly figure right through, mm. and that was one reason that the idea of Christ keeps being woven in and out of the narrative, in fact, throughout. Mm. And uh, I like it that you said he's a lightning rod for that idea because he's the one who, at one point, gives her a list of saints. Yes. You know, and they have that talk also about addicts and saints. And uh, Dimple, of course, is a saintly figure, but in a way, Xavier, who has the name of a saint, Mm. uh, is somebody who puts her saintliness into context because when you put the two of them together, you realize how innocent she is in so many ways and Mm. how generous she is and how open-hearted she is. And he, in fact, is the opposite of all those things. Mm. Mm. Uh, The novel I'm working on right now is um, his story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he he comes into the novel, just to set it up a little bit, he comes into the novel as this um, painter of of Christ's in in this... Um, macabre and strange and, and sort of uber bacon kind of way yes. um, and um, and he he, he, he remains a, as you say a shaman figure um, but he's also a model for the artist in some ways in, yes. the, in the book Cause, yeah. and there are you know Dimple herself has um, um, she's, she's a writer in a sense I think yes. she's a writer yes, um, and also the narrator who who is is interestingly kind of oscillates in and out of the story and sort of bubbles up at some points and he he's very he's very reticent and says you know the pipe is speaking and not me yeah. but he's also he's as unreliable as it gets yeah. as he says at one point he says oh, what's the value of being reliable anyway like a, a, an armchair or a dog <laughs> yeah exactly um he really takes the unreliable narrator to 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 new to new heights. Um, well, also, I think it's clear uh, that the author is probably the author of Narcopolis is not very interested in the narrator as a character because he's the least developed character of all the various characters, and mm. I think that might be because, in terms of biography, we have the most in common. And mm. yeah, I guess you're not always all that interested in plumbing your own depths. But you weren't. You weren't. You weren't tempted to put it in the third person if that was the case because he does have a voice I mean there is he does yeah, yeah well the, the, he he's the only first person voice in the book mm. and at, and I knew that that the prologue would be in the first person and I wondered how I would do that because I knew that the rest of the book would have to be in the third uh, I didn't want to have first person throughout with different points of view kind of thing mm. but uh, then I realized of course you can do that I mean, you know, that's why, that's what a novel is about. There are no rules. That's why they are novel. Mm. You know, you can yeah. approach them in novel ways and yeah. continue to. And that's why the death of the novel is just a fiction that, you know, writers come up with every once in a while because it makes for interesting magazine headlines. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, it's a kind looking of a at them on the shelves here, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the death of the novel. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I and I think one of the other reasons that it seemed perfect. Um, structurally as well for the no- for the narrator to be slightly absent is because he is he is overwhelmed by not just 
the opiates, but I think by Bombay uh, itself, you know, yeah. Bombay is a character here, isn't it, it? It absolutely is. In fact, it's it's probably the uh, with Dimple as central a character as her in the book, because you see the way the city unravels, and uh, by the end of the book, you get a very quick savor of the future, mm. of what will be coming, and as uh, the singer said, I've seen the future and it's murder mm. in the case of Bombay. There's a sort of quite um, dark pun in the opening, in the prologue where you say that the hero or the heroine of the story is, yeah. is Bombay and yes. that sort of smoky winding <coughs> long sentence of the first prologue, the, the prologue um, in, there's this sense of it being a kind of um, a constrictor, you know, this great sort of winding mass that's going to sort of eventually um, swallow all of the the people in it. Yes. Um, and and I wonder in in the in the sense of it being a kind of did you did you sort of set out to write a, um, a critique of the city, or did it become a sort of more like do you think of it more as a a biography, which is how I think of it. Absolutely. I, I, I thought of it as a biography of Bombay, an unauthorized biography. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the, the, the city's current management, the last thing they would want is a biography of the city that calls it by a hated name. Mm. Talking about the novel aspects of this novel, which I, I think are many, um, one of the things that seemed particularly interesting was the way that the boundaries between characters are often quite porous, and there's this phrase in the novel, um, dreams leak, yes. that, that is sort of modulated in different ways. And um, When I think about Dimple, I often end up thinking about the way that she bleeds into the narrator, or the way that she is different, but also connected in some ways to, um, to, to Javier. And, you know, that passage you mentioned about the saints, there's this sense of that knowledge enters Dimple and becomes part of her yeah. um, in, in this very sort of fluid way and when you're, is that part of what you were trying you know, the, the, the state of being um, I suppose almost intravenously connected you know, to everyone else in, in the group Does that, did, that, did that blurring is that something you've experienced or is it something that you, you wanted to get across? Well there's so a strange thing that happens in a or that happened in in the opium dens when people smoked together because what you do is you lie down on a pallet and one person and there'll be two people to a pipe and you will smoke and then the pipe maker will pass it to the next person it's it's all in a very 19th century urdu romantic poetic kind of everything is slow and there's a lot of courtesy and politeness you know it's a very old muslim uh, culture mm. and so you would smoke and the pipe would be passed and in the other side of the room there's another pipe and there'd be two other people there smoking and there would be conversation and a f very strange thing would happen and that is there was a a real sense of a shared bond a bond that lasts will la would last your life through really mm. and it it was very difficult not to think of it as a a high point a, a high moment very high moment mm. uh, in 
not in a druggy sense, but in a literary sense. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's perhaps a part of that sort of reclining and, and being sort of super connected in some kind of way, and but also strangely alone in, in that, because I think a lot of the... There are many scenes in the novel where, you know, you see the, the gaps as well as the, as the porousness. Um, there's a libidinal um, charge that runs through the book, and... Um, talking about the pipes specifically there are these extraordinary scenes sometimes where pipes are sort of extensions of bodies yes um you know where dimple feels as though um uh i forget the character who's doing this but there's a moment when someone is drawing on a pipe and it's it's savvy yeah, yeah and he and she feels as though it's life-threatening yeah to her it's yeah. as if it's as if it's her penis yeah. and that he's her drawing vanished penis. her vanished yeah. and the, it's it's being extracted. Her life's yeah. being pulled through it, yeah. and and there's there are there are a couple of moments where pipes become bodily True. extensions. Um, I often think of the Cocteau drawings from the book Opium, where he has these line drawings throughout the book. Mm. Uh, it was those drawings were in my mind when I wrote Narcopolis. Mm. He has these line drawings throughout the book where people are pipes. The pipes are. There have become arms and limbs and noses and uh, parts of the pipes have become parts of the the bodies of the the mm. figures in that right through the book you know and it's uh, they're fabulous drawings actually I've always thought that uh, it was one of his very underrated books and it should be you know reissued with a a good publisher it's stunning drawings and I had that image in my head um, often during the writing of Narcopolis. So that I think that's the resonance there. Oh, that's interesting. You should do the introduction. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um that it's uh yeah, that's extraordinary. There is that and it it's utterly degrading as well. I mean to the to to, to replace a limb in a way with it a is. sort of mechanical um and there's there's such paraphernalia about the, the pipe and Absolutely. opium itself. Yeah. Because it's not just the pipe, there's the tray. Mm. There's the lamp, and each of these things, each of these objects are special. It's built, specially designed for the smoking of it. Mm. So there's the tray, there's the oil lamp, there's uh, there are many tiny brushes. Mm. There are the little brass cups, tiny little brass cups that hold the liquid opium. There's the long needle. It's a kind of a knitting needle mm. with which the opium is cooked. And there are many other tiny little objects, and all of them beautifully crafted they're made of brass and old wood and just they're gorgeous looking things and there's a tremendous sense of ritual mm. uh, that it was connected to the smoking of opium and i think that had a lot to do with the uh with what made it so attractive in an aesthetic way for so many of the kind of the the smokers of opium who who have written about it Know, something very romantic and aesthetic and um, in a in a nineteenth century uh, poetic context there's also kind of so many manners involved in that i mean I, when I think of um even the dogs by John McGregor or a novel that's also about heroin use in in it tends to be um you know cooking up tends to be something that's done with a bit of foil and a spoon and a lighter and whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. Um, whereas what you described there is is um, 
it's close to a sort of dinner party in terms Absolutely. of its elaborateness. Absolutely, and in terms of etiquette. Yes. You know, there are so many things that you should not do in, yeah. in the smoke, and which would be considered so rude, you know, mm. in the smoking of opium. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like using, making sure you use the right knife for the right dish. You know, but isn't that such an extraordinary kind of paradox that that opium is it's throwing off burdens in a way, and then at the same time, it's a heightening of awareness of your interactions with small interactions with with other people. And there's a strange kind of it's a paradox. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, exactly, and. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it, in in uh, some parts of the world it was uh, seen as a uh, a drug of the royals. It was the kings who smoked it, the mm. emperors smoked it. You know, it was the nobles smoked it. Mm. Uh, it was not, and that was why this old world kind of courtesy and uh, the length of time involved, and it was all. Uh, if you look at the old Mughal. Uh, miniatures that refer to those times to the and to Babur who you know used to smoke opium, the first uh, Mughal emperor of India who did smoke opium and the the visual representations of that absolutely elegant and courtly mm. you know there was a very strict kind of um, a division you, you could see that this was not a drug for commoners mm. and I think in many ways that had the residual uh, aesthetic impulse of that had was visible right up until the opium dens closed in Bombay in the early 1980s. Um, I want to ask you briefly about your um, um, the way that this experience differed from writing poetry because you've published and written um, primarily as a, as a poet before this and um, as I mentioned, there's, there are many texts in the book, and there's there's poetry in the book. Yeah. Um, was that um, there's and the poems in the book are often written in in voice. So he has some yeah. poems, and I mean, is there a kind of did did moving into the novel allow you to go after different kinds of emotional game? I mean, do you, you find yourself looking for different? Um, uh, constructions and scaffolding in different ways when you're writing a novel? Well, I realized late, very late in life, I realized that the point of the novel is its capaciousness. Mm. Anything can go into it. And if there was a, a class in novelists' school about that a novel has to be only prose and has to proceed from beginning to end, I think I missed that lesson. <laughs> I, was, I was out I'm on the street smoking a cigarette, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so the point about the novel is you can have song lyrics, mm. you can have poems, you can have drawings, you can have digressions on Blade Runner, mm. you can have pretty much anything can be vo woven into a novel and that is the absolute beauty of it. And that's why the novel will keep being reinvented. Mm. It will never die, you know, because as long as there's imagination, there are ways to extend it and to change it and to make it new and living and vital, you know. Uh, but in terms of actual kind of uh, practice, I wrote four books of poems over the years uh, I, while I was a journalist and while I had a drug habit because that was the only kind of writing I could do in short bursts. Mm. A poem, even if it goes into 50 drafts and even if you take four or five months to revise, mm. 
the original writing of it happens in a burst very quickly in a couple of days in a day mm. you know and it's a very joyful activity it's full of joy mm. you're excited you you just follow it you put it down you're thrilled you know mm. and then you fix it of course some people don't but you know mm. i do i did mm. and you work on it rework it rewrite it all of that mm. it's fun there's nothing fun about writing a novel mm. it's just 9 to 5 it's a job you go there you sit at your desk you work you need stamina you need to not you need to think about your health you need to sleep enough you need to eat properly you need to not drink too much all those things you need to be disciplined in a way poets never have to be never think of you know mm. and it's true that if you put a a group of artists into a house together at 4 a.m. the musicians and the poets and the dancers and the actors will be up carousing the novelists will be in bed thinking of getting an early start in the morning mm. you know? and uh, you know they're the the long distance runners solitary long distance runners while the poets are the sprinters that you know full of ecstasy and mm. of, yeah it's just and yeah and I'm the sprinters who don't do enough training you know I'm thinking of Usain Bolt now so you know I'm not I don't do as much <laughs> training as Johan but it, I think um yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense um I talking of digressions that um are in the book and the, the way that the book winds itself um uh, it, it winds at one point into China yes. uh which was really unexpected and interesting because I felt as though in many ways because as we said already that this book is in some ways a biography of Bombay and um it 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 sort of registers the sort of um the difficulties that um uh leave experiences in 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 China um and w- which are different which are slightly divergent but very much connected to Bombay and it feels um a kind of um inverse or a sort of the the negative image of of what's going on in Bombay in right. some ways um did you have you feel what's the response been like i mean how how have you how, moving into china did that sort of um did you feel a different kind of responsibility to to represent that in it in it because obviously you know you you bombay is 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 in your blood and it's you know it's you know that very intimately and did you when you were moving into that different territory did that did that make you stop and think or did you just kind of run with it or well i it started because i wanted to uh, i was reading um, the brothers karamazov mm. throughout the writing of narcopolis i was thinking of the russian novels where you will have a 50 page digression mm. as to the nature of god for instance and it about 5 or 10 pages into it you're thinking where is this going i mean this is insane and of course it comes back and somehow makes the the main narrative line much richer mm. much more resonant and so i wanted to do something like that with mm. the 50 pages of china and what that in terms of the story what it does is it tells you how the pipe arrives at rashid's mm. but also the style changes during that section the actual writing changes because it's being told by mr lee in english which is not his language mm. to dimple who is then who is who is actually the author of it mm. so mm. it's twice removed 
And so the language changes as well. The style of the language changes. It becomes uh, less um, expansive, less lyrical. Mm. It becomes more sort of straight. And uh, it was very important. I, in a way, it was very lucky for me because I, to tell the story of opium in Bombay, you have to bring in China because Bombay became the great financial capital that it is today between 1800 and 1840 mm. when the British East India Company and a handful of Parsi ship owners got together and shipped opium, thousands of tons of opium to China, high-quality opium. And at that point, the East India Company was the world's biggest drug dealer. And like all drug dealers, always resorted to tremendous levels of brutality to carry that out. And that's how the opium wars happened. But the point is, that's how Bombay was transformed from this island, a collection of seven malarial, un uninhabited islands to India's major metropolis and financial capital because of opium, because of the money from opium. And this inconvenient fact is omitted in most history books about Bombay. Nobody likes to talk about it. But it is a fact that that is what transformed the city's fortunes to this day. It was built on opium money. Mm -hmm. So to tell a story about opium in Bombay, you cannot skip China. You had to bring that in. Mm -hmm. And I felt very lucky because I had lived in Hong Kong as a boy. I grew up in Hong Kong. I spent the 70s in Hong Kong. I went to school there. So I knew... Uh, to some extent, I knew the Chinese and I knew the culture and I was comfortable with the culture and I remembered a lot of the language. So when I was writing that section, I could bring in a lot of that. And uh, I, for me, that was one of the luckiest uh, bits in the book, the Chinese digression. Mm. That sounds like a Robert Ludlum book, doesn't it? The mm. Chinese digression. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that could be the 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 movie, you know, the screenplay. Um, that it's so fascinating because um, I th the economic antecedents for it feels like so many, particularly imperial um, histories, and you know, whenever there's um, an imperial power in play in that way, they're always feels like there's this shadow history that that in some ways just doesn't get right get that's the secret history yeah yeah um, um i think we're, unfortunately we're going to have to um wrap it up there okay. but it's it's um it's such a pleasure talking to you thank Same you here. great pleasure thank you thank you